Hi there, Dr. B here with your Module 7 Clarifying Lecture. Um, hopefully I'll have your CyberRat stuff back to you this weekend. Um, just a reminder that there will be no Module 8 Clarifying Lecture. And that um, unless you've already talked to me, everything must be in by Monday night at 11.59 p.m. because the registrar does require us to get grades in soon after that. So um, I can't really give extensions um, or anything like that unless you've already talked to me about an incomplete. So basically all I have to talk about is interteach. I will say this, that the stuff that you're learning in 622 is really the foundation, the cornerstone of everything you're gonna do in subsequent classes. I've said this before, I'll say it again, that this stuff is the bio and chem that allows you to then go and do your interventions. So that's why I've been really strict about um, no therapy examples, because this is not therapy, okay? This is um, stuff that goes around uh, around us all the time. It's all around us. And the other thing is that if you don't have this stuff cold, everything going forward is going to be really difficult for you. And so that is why, you know, it's really important to be fluent in this stuff right now. This is not one of those things like, you know, like, yeah, maybe I learned a little bit about phonics in my teacher training, but I teach math, so don't really remember a whole lot about it. This is something that you will use every single day of your life for the rest of your life. So it is very important that you have this cold. So let's talk about our different um, questions. So first things, first let's talk about Shimoff and Catania. So um, I can't remember for the life of me whether or not um, I saw this demonstration live. I do know that Charlie talked about it in our class. Um, but it is a conditional discrimination, and most of you got that very, very well. That the pigeon learned, they didn't know, they learned, okay, that um, discrimination in the classroom is going to be different than the discrimination in the lab. And then so Shimoff and Catania figured this out and then used it to teach um, with comic relief. Let's talk a little bit about matching to sample. What is matching to sample? So matching, you might, you know, know that as, you know, an ABA thing that we always teach matching and yeah, that's what we do. But, you know, there's always the reason why. Why do we teach matching? You know, what is it about matching that is important? So a bunch of things. So first of all, we use matching all the time. It's how we create our concepts. We'll get into that with equivalence. Um, you know, if you've ever snapped a picture of something and then use that to buy the item um, at the Target, that's matching to sample. If you've ever used a circular and, you know, check the circular to see what's on sale, that's matching to sample. Um, all these things are matching to sample. If you've ever um, sorted clothes, that's matching to sample. If you've ever loaded the dishwasher, that's matching to sample. Um, all these things, we do these on a regular basis. And there's a couple of different types. So identity matching is, for example, you know, sorting all the forks, the knives and the spoons in the dishwasher, um, putting the coffee cups all in the top row, um, 
that's identity matching. And then there's oddity matching. So one of the groups talked about the fact that, you know, you go through your clothing to make sure that there wasn't like some errant red sock um, in, you know, your load of whites. That is oddity matching to sample. So then let's talk a little bit about equivalence. A lot of you got way too fancy with this. Um, and some of you are saying equivalence is generalization. They're related to each other, but they're two different things. So generalization is the spread of the, um, of, um, the response to different scenarios. Equivalence is the idea that we're building a concept. So let's talk about how you teach and test that. So teaching and testing. Um, so we have three categories. We have regular forks, we have toy forks, and then we have pictures of forks. So those are three, that's A, B, and C. Reflexivity is the ability to match regular forks to regular forks, toy forks to toy forks, and pictures to pictures. That's what reflexivity is. Symmetry is when you teach the um, regular fork, have them match that to the toy fork. Then to test for symmetry, you give them the toy fork and see if they can match the uh, that to the regular fork. That's reflexivity. I mean, I'm sorry, symmetry. And then if you then have to teach, now you have to teach this part too. Some of you missed this part. You have to teach toy fork to picture. So match toy fork to picture. You then test picture to toy fork. Okay. So those two symmetry classes have to be taught. Transitivity is that without training, the individual matches the picture to the regular fork, regular fork to picture. Okay, that's all it was. A lot of you got super fancy. You were sorting, you were promoting generalization, you were using, you know, you were saying shaping when you were actually using errorless. Um, so that's all equivalence is. Equivalence is that, that these three things hang together and they don't all have to be explicitly taught. Let's talk a little bit about complex arrangements and the matching law. Um, so typically matching law talks about concurrent schedules. It's two different responses, two different reinforcement schedules happening at the same time. Which one do you choose? Uh, it can also happen that you can use multiple schedules. So I did some research when um, I was early in my career at the hospital that we worked at, in which we looked at the interactions between multiple schedules. So, you know, schedule would be in effect um, for one SD, another schedule would be in effect in another environment for another SD. In our case, we were looking at, we had two therapists, we were looking at self-injury, and we looked at um, one therapist would reinforce behavior on one schedule and another therapist would reinforce behavior on another schedule. And of course, we saw that behavioral contrast. Unfortunately, that was never published and that was my fault. Um, but yeah, that is, um, you know, if you look at contrast and multiple schedule interactions, that's another complex arrangement. But I want you to think about matching law in terms of really how we make choices. And um, the fact is, is that we, allocate most of our responding, not all of it, but most of it, to the richer reinforcement schedule. 
So we're going to do the thing that um, is reinforced on the richest schedule, typically. Now, there's other reasons why you may start to allocate some responding to the other side, but for the most part, we're going to gravitate towards there. Okay, so that's really all the matching law is. Now, let's talk a little bit about, you know, most of you got that logic and reasoning are just verbal behavior. Um, they're just private events. It's just a lot of rule governance, and y'all got that. That's very well done. But let's talk about the whole idea of knowing yourself. So our private events are learned through interactions with our environment. So the way that we think about ourselves is reinforced in some way. Um, those reinforced behaviors sometimes end up becoming rules or um, they become rules because, you know, somebody else said so. So really our environment is very much in control. So I think about the fact that um, my mother always used to tell me that you should, you know, never wear black mascara, always wear brown mascara. Um, so that was a rule, you know, like nice girls wear brown mascara. I don't know why. I, I don't want to go into why, but this was a rule. Um, and then later on, I came in contact with some contingencies that said, no, no, it's all right. Um, so that's so when other people start using their verbal behavior to tact our appearance, our behavior, our um, our um, things that we you know excel at, things that we don't excel at, that starts to create these rules or private events around who we are. So can you engage in self-control? Well, sort of, kind of. Um, but if the environment is stacked against you, then it's going to be really, really hard for you to change. Um, so it's not so much this intrinsic versus extrinsic that I hear so much of in health coaching. Um, it's more about what does the environment look like in general? So we can kind of, you know, say that we're doing things like self-reinforcement. But the truth is, is that it's the environment that has control over our behavior, not us. And so, you know, we'll say, oh, well, if I do this much homework, I'll watch this much TV or whatever. But what's keeping you from watching TV in the first place? It's the environment. Okay. Other contingencies are in play that, um, you know, have you delay watching TV until you get X done. But it's not like you set up a behavior plan for yourself. Remember that one of the themes that has been across this entire course is that really any of us, when we're trying to intervene on a certain behavior, have very little control over the environment. Um, we have, you know, if this is the big old environment, we can probably influence about this much. That much might be enough to then create maybe some behavioral cusps or things like that. But remember that, you know, we have very little control over the environment and we even have less control over ourselves. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Have a great rest of your spring. Thank you for your hard work. I know how hard this course was. Um, and I appreciate you all sticking through and really, you know, 
busting your tuchuses to do this, and I hope to see you soon.